name is Cara Byrne, and I'm the 2022 Global President of the Women's Energy Network, aka WEN. WEN is focused on developing a community of energy professionals across the world who are connected locally and networked globally. This podcast is yet another way for WEN to feature our talented members in the energy community. I hope you can learn something new and enjoy your time with us today. Happy International Women's Day. Today, March 8th, 2022, is a special episode that we're bringing to you that is sponsored by the CU Denver Energy Management Program. I'm super pumped about this episode because we brought in Farhana Morales, who actually Sarah knows quite well and has been developing a program with her. Farhana is a rock star and she's going to talk to us about not only her experience, but also talking about ESG, and she's actually developing a course for me at CU Denver's energy program on ESG. If you're interested, feel free to reach out to me directly or jump on CU Denver's uh, website at the business school and you can find our ESG course. It starts April 8th. So without further ado, let's just jump into the conversation with Farhana. Once again, my name is Sally Hollingstead, and today I have Sarah Dodowski as my co-host. This week, we're discussing another hot topic that needs no introduction, as the acronym alone can either make you feel excited, terrified, or possibly both. E-S-G. I, for one, am excited, not just because of the letters, but because of our guest, Farhana Morales. Farhana is an ESG and sustainability professional who focuses on improving these factors in companies she works for. She recently joined Target Corporation as Senior Manager of Corporate Responsibility, ESG. Previously, Farhana worked in the oil and gas industry, both at both in the U.S. and overseas. She's a strong proponent of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and makes sure that everyone feels represented. In addition to her day job, Farhana worked with Sarah on designing and teaching an ESG-focused curriculum at CU Denver's Energy Program, which is how we twisted her arm in joining us today. Thank you so much for being with us, Farhana. Thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity for me to talk about something I'm really passionate about. So thanks. Fantastic. Well, before we dive into today's topics. Before we dive in, we should talk about Farhana's accent and how it's just going to make this episode amazing. So much better. We're going to sound terrible, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was born and raised in the United Kingdom. I moved to Colorado in 2000. One. And so I've still maintained this accent. I think it's a bit of a mishmash right now because it's Colorado, it's UK, it's a little bit of India. (laughs) So you're welcome. (laughs) Well, and and I know you're going to tell us a little bit about yourself, which I'm excited for, but I I just would like our listeners, I almost said viewers, listeners to know Farhana is like my doppelganger if my doppelganger was born in the UK and also has some Indian heritage. So, um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about even your background and your education and kind of like how how you came to be where you are now. Yes. So I was working in the oil and gas industry for many, many years, 14 years. I started um, with service companies and worked my way up through operators and really always had that thirst for knowledge of data sharing and my passion around community. And so any role I did in oil and gas was primarily focused around that. What happened when I was overseas in Algeria for Anadarko Petroleum I realized that I wanted to do something different. And so I embarked on a master's in finance. Through that master's in finance, I did a course on corporate responsibility. And that's when I the light bulb went off and I thought, wow, this is what I want to pursue in oil and gas. This is what I want to pursue as a career. And so after doing that particular course and finishing up my master's degree, um, I had the opportunity to work for an oil and gas company as an ESG analyst. And that's where I realized this is my jam. This is what I'd like to do until I retire one day, uh, because it really feeds into who I am as a person and, and the impact I can make. The more and more I think about ESG and the more and more I think about um, the way 
um, companies are needing to add to their ranks with the ESG professionals is that your background in education is is a bit different. You mentioned kind of taking those finance degrees, but having a little bit more of a liberal arts education, how do you think that kind of gives you perspective as we look at ESGs holistically through a company? So just as a woman and a woman of color has obviously influenced how I see the world, how I how the world has impacted me, how industries have impacted me. So it really has colored how I view these things and, and what I would like to do and how I would like to see change. Um, I went to my bachelor's was done at the University of Denver and it was at the women's college. And I truly believe the professors I had and the curriculum was very much shaped around ensuring that women really end up in these leadership roles. They end up being these proponents of change um, instead of sitting in the background and waiting for somebody else to change things for us. And so it really gave me the energy and strength to, to push forward and really be courageous. You know, when, when women are always worried or concerned, you know, I shouldn't apply for that role. Or I shouldn't do that degree. I shouldn't pursue this. And really we're our worst enemies when it comes to that. And so it really gave me that um, energy to say, no, I, I can do those things too. Well, kind of one of the want to make sure that all of our listeners are clear on is why don't we explain a little bit what ESG is? I think that'll kind of help people. And then what are some common misconceptions about ESG? Yeah. ESG. So that stands for environmental, social, and governance. And all three have been around for a long time. The misconception is that it's new. They're all new and they're confusing and people don't know what to do with them. Um, in companies, uh, employees don't understand what ESG is. And so what I would say is they've always existed in some facet. For example, under social, you have health and safety. We've always had EHS or health and safety organizations within companies looking to protect employees, looking to protect contractors. And so what's happened now is this umbrella has now is now housing all of those aspects of ESG. The governance side tends to be more confusing for people because it really has more to do with boards and, and what happens within companies that tends to be a little less transparent for employees. And so it could be things that are happening in leadership ranks or boards, board discussions where employees don't have ac don't have access to. The governance um, piece, since you did touch on that a little bit, I always have found that interesting because, for example, right now, I know that there are some regulations out there that require a board to have at least two females on it. However, it doesn't say anything about more diversity. And so there's a couple of companies, and I'm not going to name them on this podcast, but they've had this opportunity where they've, you know, merged or bought other entities and they've had this great opportunity to really diversify their management team and their board and they haven't done it. Do you foresee any other type of kind of guidelines that companies will need to follow beyond just having, you must now have two women on your board. Yes. So board diversity has been something that has come up in the last few years. And the reason why is because unless you have a diverse board, uh, just think of the board as the top level of any company. They're the advisory body for leadership. If you have an advisory body made up of all the same type of people, what kind of advice is leadership getting? And also is that leadership understanding the makeup of their actual company? Most 
companies have uh, diversity in employees at some level or not, some much more diverse than others. And, and that's great. But unless you have that diverse board bringing in diversity of thought, diversity of background, and really having that impact elsewhere and bringing that to leadership, there's no way that that board is going to then be able to advise fully or in a progressive manner when it comes to ESG. Um, I always say on the board, there should always be somebody on the board that has some knowledge about ESG. So then they can advise leadership to say, look, do you have a strategy on ESG? What are you doing in terms of ESG to make sure that this company, you know, maintains a great, um, commu- maintains great communication with the investors, stakeholders, shareholders. So it's, it's very important to have that diverse board. And I do see this shift coming of the transition. The companies that haven't changed are still holding on for dear life, in my opinion, to say, you know, let's just wait and see what everybody else does. But I do see this shift coming in uh, when I say in ethnicity and race also. So when the S, you know, we kind of describe it as social, um, but lots of folks also describe it as sustainable, right? Uh, Sustainability piece of it. So can you maybe speak to the difference or why people sometimes confuse the social or sustainability piece, mix up the S's or interchange them? So sustainability, so ESG has mainly to do with metrics and actually qualitative and quantitative tracking of the data within a company. Sustainability is just a big umbrella that says there could be some strategies under sustainability. So they are, they can be interchangeable, but what the ESG is really about, what are you actually doing? Can you show us year to year trending of safety metrics, diversity metrics? Um, can you uh, write a paragraph on how, what kind of strategies you have to improve things for people of color, people of disability at your company? Sustainability is the bigger umbrella of just everything, all encompassing. Yeah. And I guess maybe to go back to, to Sally, say me some things I've heard from, from my board members and they come from kind of all sides of the industry, which is, you know, ESG is great, but for the most part, folks on the more traditional energy side generally focus on the E and they say the S and the G are silent. So I'd, I'm not sure if that's something with your experience in the traditional kind of side of energy, is that something you've kind of seen people, maybe it's because they can like quantify and really understand what the E is and the S and the G are so elusive to them for whatever reason. So S is S is also quantifiable. I think the issue has been that in the history of oil and gas, because environmental metrics have always had some tie to regulation, it's been easier to kind of attack those metrics. You know, what kind of emissions is your company outputting? Um, is there any reduction in those emissions? Um, anything environmental has had some somewhat some tie to regulation. When it comes to the S and the G, because it's not regulated per se, it's become a little bit confusing. Right now, if you were to compare two oil and gas companies, um, it may be difficult. It may be a smaller company to a larger company because maybe they're pulling different style of metrics or maybe one is um, not following one guideline and one's following another standard. So right now there is a little confusion because none of this is mandated. And that I think is one of the most important pieces is none of it has yet to be mandated. Yes. And so we actually did an episode um, last year with our other co-host, Sarah Bartlett and Ashley McNamee, who was at Alvarez and Marcel at the time. And they kind of talked about like, here are some great guidelines. Here are some, uh, what was it? The the acronyms for the reporting. SASB, GRI. Yep. All those. And, you know, it depends on, regardless of which one you go with, they're are similarities in them, yes. but they are so different. So I think it's hard for companies to really think about like, oh gosh, how do you even fight this off? Because one, it's not mandated yet. It's just about being like a good company and getting in the right spot. 
But two, like how how do you dive in? Exactly. It's it's very confusing right now. And I think the companies that are doing well are the ones that kind of jumped on the bandwagon years ago to, to start reporting in some fashion, right? So they either pick GRI, Global Reporting Initiative, or SASB, which is now under the Value Report Foundation. And so what's happening now is a lot of these organizations are actually coming together to try and make this more standardized to, to make sure there's not 10 organizations out there that people have to adhere to because it is confusing. Um, my advice to everybody is look, create a strategy within your company and really see which standard or guideline aligns to what your goals are. Um, I find SASB is very much aligned to financial risk. And I think SASB is a great, the SASB standards are a great place to start because they're very minimal. Um, and, and it's, it's a foundation. You can start there. GRI have very expansive metrics over, so especially on the social side. So people metrics and, and things like that. So those can be a little confusing. I always tell companies start somewhere. And I do believe that the SEC will come out with their own standard. You very, don't think they're soon. just going to um, like come off of somebody else's? Like no. So I was listening to a podcast the other day uh, through a, a, another financial institute, and they said that they didn't believe the SEC would piggyback off somebody else because of the legal ramifications of using one standard over another. And so it could bring up legal issues. And so what the SEC, uh, people think the SEC will do is come up with their own standards, probably leveraging off some ideas off other standards and then have their own body. The issue behind that is who is going to maintain those standards now? That's going to take a whole group of people. Well, that and then I, how long is it going to take? Because exactly. they've been talking about it for more than a year now. I heard 2026. So let's see. So then, so then that goes to should companies still try and do something because it's not going to be mandated until 2026? Yes. And what if they weren't put all this money and you know, effort into this and it's completely wrong for what needs to be reported. Definitely. I, companies, uh, everybody needs to understand this is not going anywhere. It's not going to be swept under the rug. Everybody needs to get uh, serious about ESG. And like I said, if it's a small company, um, obviously their resources aren't going to be as vast as a large company. And, and investors understand that. Stakeholders and shareholders understand, hey, this company is not going to be able to have the biggest impact on ESG because they don't have um, all of these analysts and people within their company to do all of this due diligence and work. So what I say is talk to your investors, talk to your shareholders and stakeholders and say, look, we're embarking on an ESG journey. We're going to need some time, but this is our strategy. This is our plan. And put down some actual milestones that you hope to achieve and start providing some data around those. I like that. Set your goals and just start tracking. Start tracking. Yeah. Start doing something and be very transparent about that. And if you can't track a metric, for example, if you pick a, a, G, a SASB standard and all of a sudden you look at that and think, wow, we've never tracked that data before, put in your table, if you if you have an ESG report, a sustainability report, or a CR report, put in the table, we haven't uh, quite figured out how to manage this form of data or we don't know how to track this. Uh, please wait uh, for for, ne for this information next year. So at least you're being transparent that you're not just hiding the fact that you're hiding a metric because it look could look bad. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's certainly some. sometimes people think, oh, they don't report because they would look worse, right? Exactly. So, you know, we're just not going to report anything and then it's fine. So um, good thoughts here around the E part, which is oftentimes when we talk about E, you know, that's environmental. 
I think the public and the perception often is, is that surrounding climate change, right? And so how much of that you think is driving the E or investment or discussion about the E? Climate change is so big right now and has been for many years. And I believe that the European push for climate change is definitely impacting the U.S. Um, atmosphere, too. So what, what you'll find is a lot of the European standards are a lot stricter and more stringent. And they're really pushing for companies to align. And if you're a U.S. company and you have an asset in Europe, you're expected to report on that based on European metrics. So some of, you're seeing some of this trickle down from Europe to us um my worry is that you know people jump to climate change too quickly and say yes this is our goal for 2026 and not really have a strategy or a way to get to that so becoming net zero or aligning to the two degree scenario the paris agreement so i always tell people when you put that information out there in your ESG reports, on your websites, please make sure that you have a strategy to get to that because investors are going to read that and expect year to year to see some kind of traction on those metrics. So where do you see ESG making the biggest impact? I think ESG is going to fundamentally shift how companies work and operate. Uh, I say that because, I mean, I work at a company right now where the ESG topic comes up all the time. People are interested. Either they want to know more about ESG as an, as an employee. And you'll also find some employees calling out company, their own companies because they're unhappy with how some of the the things are trending at their own companies. For example, how um, benefit, benefits for employees now, benefits have fallen under the S of ESG. For example, during COVID, people had the ability to work from home. They found this amazing work-life balance. And now employees are building up that strength to, to talk to their companies and say, no, look, we actually do um, have a way to change this within the company. And, and so you're seeing this dual method of conversation between employees and companies. Um, companies are now having to build strategies around ESG that encompass the whole company. And so I always tell people ESG is going to become more holistic. It's not going to be in a silo. In the past, you had um, an ESG division within a company that was very small. Now it's going to be very much inclusive of human human resources. It's going to be the EHS group that will be involved. And so everything is going to feed into ESG. I agree with you on that because I was at a company prior to my current role that really we started our ESG program and it was working with the EHS staff and like trying to figure out like, actually, you guys have been already doing this. We just need to pull the numbers and put it in a pretty format for our sustainability report. So I agree with you. I think it's holistic and involving all, I mean, the fact that you pointed out the HR piece is huge yes. too. Like, why wouldn't you involve an HR yeah. department? Exactly. I mean, anybody that leaves HR out is, you know, is going to do, is going to harm the company because you, if you're looking to diversify your employee base, if you're looking to, you know, really hire um, in a socially responsible way, you have to include HR. They need to change the way their hiring practices function currently. That's how you're going to end up with a more diverse employee base. And also, how are you treating your current employees? How do you, the DE&I has been a very a big passion of mine because as a diverse woman, I've seen many companies lose the opportunity to maintain their current workforce because they don't take care of them in a way that they value them or, or really give them opportunities for career career growth, uh, 
So I've I've seen that happen, um, and it and this is the one that's going to be very difficult to greenwash. So greenwashing is a phrase used uh, when companies are saying they're diverse or, or or anything any aspect of ESG, but then when you really dig in there, they it's just talk. They're not walking; they're just talking. And so DE and I is going to be one of those where it comes up to the forefront of where employees are future employees may look and say, do you really hire diverse talent? And I think it's not just hire. I think it's also promote and support that talent as well. Right now, what I'm finding is um, HR um, are building many groups so that companies have these um, groups within within HR or within the company to really focus on aspects such as DE&I and talent and really improving, um, you know, this career growth within oil and gas. The toughest thing I did find when I was in the oil and gas industry was career growth for myself. One you were in a particular role, it was very difficult for you to get out of that role. And, and it really was the nature of the oil and gas industry. If you were an engineer and you were a geologist, you had a wonderful career path and everybody else kind of fell to the wayside. And that was my biggest struggle. You know, I, I told them I also graduated with a, a bachelor's degree. I now have a master's degree. How am I different from anybody else that has that title? And now I see some of these progressive companies really looking and thinking, you know what, that was the wrong way to view career growth for that whole subset of employees. And I really hope that that is a shift in in all companies. What would you suggest to our listeners that may be feeling the same feelings of no career growth within their company right now? What are some things that you would suggest to them to be able to break that glass ceiling? If you definitely find it difficult within your internal company, unfortunately, you have to step out. I've stepped out so many times out of different companies and I've left in a very positive manner. But really, you need to put your career growth um, in front of you and, and make it a priority. If you're finding that you're talking to HR, you're talking to your leadership and there really is nowhere for you to go and you're stuck, look for, look for other companies that are more diverse, that are willing to provide that career growth. In this whole year has been they've they've classified this recent phase of time as the great resignation. I call it the great upgrade. And and what I believe is people are finally realizing that what they need in a career and what they need in a work in work life balance is very important to them. And so it's time to start interviewing companies for your needs and and things that you would like to see in a career. And so it's really being flipped. You know, I feel like companies had that power in the past and that power shift has now occurred where we can now put ourselves in that position to say, this is what's important to me as a person. DE and I is important to me as a person. What are you doing as a company towards that? Um, You know, how do you care about the health and safety of workers in the field? That's important to me. What's your viewpoint about that? So really interviewing the company. And I think that's great advice because typically women tend to let more slide, I think, than men would. And I think that, you know, recognizing that this isn't the right fit for me. I don't just have to suck it up and keep on and just power through it. Literally, I can look at other companies, look at other industries and and figure out if there's a better fit out there. Exactly. And I always see myself as an example to others and as a mom of two teenagers. I Oy. always... 
Yes. <laughs> they were fantastic. Independent, and I couldn't be prouder of these two. Are they but driving? They're driving. Oh, okay. They that are makes driving. it even better than, yeah. they're, they're doing everything by themselves. I've, I've raised two very independent children, and I'm so happy for that. But, you know, when, when I see myself as a woman, I see myself as a mom, as a wife, um, as a sister, as a daughter, and, and really that example in the community, if I don't make these changes, if I'm not bold, you know, why would anybody else be encouraged to do the same? And when, and I've noticed that uh, other women that are stuck uh, as I was uh, really look to me and I've had people text me on, uh, message me on LinkedIn, uh, reach out to me and say, you know what, because you did that, it gave me some courage and energy to do the same. And, and can you help me? I've helped women with their resumes, LinkedIn profiles, really just push them to that level of, of owning their career growth instead of waiting for someone to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, we're ready for you to move up. If we could go beyond the initial question, because you mentioned it about like taking the time to like figure out, is this the right fit for you? And if not, leave it. Yeah. You know, so like, how do you become empowered? Like, can you well, but how do you break 20? those barriers? I can answer that. Somebody asked me, like, how do you, how would a woman break barriers? Or, or how really... would a woman break barriers? Well, the... <laughs> <laughs> With a hacksaw. No. <laughs> <laughs> With a flamethrower. I actually wanted a flamethrower recently. <laughs> My husband said, I don't know about that. <laughs> You're like, no, dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> so I believe a woman breaks barriers by putting herself first. A lot of women put themselves on the back burner when it comes to career, when it comes to motherhood, when it comes to just any aspect. And so I've always, I will, I will tell you, my biggest cheerleader has been my husband and my children. Husband first, because anytime I brought something to the table, his first answer is yes, go do it. I will take care of everything. And I really believe you need support and a village that really understands why you're doing this and why you're approaching this. And I will say that about my career, about me going internationally. I mean, like how many women with two soon to, well, two young teenagers would be able to go to Algeria, leaving a husband behind to take care of his stepchildren. He, he did that. And so for me as a woman, I tell other women, make sure you have that support system and the cheerleaders because you'll have those moments of doubt where you're like, should I do this? Can I do this? And you need those people to say, yes, stop questioning yourself and you can do it. And I try and do that for other women also. I try to do that for my children, other people of minority, other people that don't believe they should be where they are, people of disability. I'm a big, big proponent of making sure everybody gets seen and heard. Um, and, and from a, a woman, perspective, I think we really need to stop limiting ourselves when it comes to opportunities, right? I call um, 2022 the year of karma for me because everything's coming into place in a very positive way. So I'm teaching at CU Denver. I just embarked on a new career at Target in a leadership capacity, which is going to obviously bring its own challenges and opportunities. I'm also on the but board the of- But the discounts will make up for that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Discounts. <laughs> yes, I will be spending even more money at Target because now I'm I'm assessing for the discount. And also, I just, this year is my first year as a board of director for Habitat for Humanity. I'm a big proponent of of affordable housing and, and myself having been a recipient of affordable housing many, many years ago when, when I was working my way up in my career and life with my family. I just want to give back. And so when, like, I, most people look at those three things and think I'm absolutely crazy. If If a man was doing those three things, would anybody question him? 
No, because he has time to do all of those. So us, we women need to stop limiting ourselves and saying, yes, we can do all of that. We do have time to do all of that because I'm going to leverage in on my resources and everybody's going to pitch in and help out. And I've, I've been very blessed to have that those type of resources. You mentioned that companies, a lot of companies are doing internal groups revolving around DE&I. What kind of things can companies and individuals do do outside of their company to really build their support system, whether professionally, personally, et cetera? Yes. Many organizations that I've worked at and companies I've worked at have always supported external agencies because they believe that it allows, uh, it provides an outlet for their employees to, to really understand another aspect of their company or industry. An example I'll give is the Women's Energy Network. That's actually where I met Sarah. And if I hadn't met Sarah there, I wouldn't have known about the GEM program and then this ESG course. So I always... Uh, advise people if your company is sponsoring these events outside of working hours, if you can find the opportunity to attend them, it's a great way to meet other like-minded people that may be struggling with similar issues such as you or maybe give you advice. And it also gives you a break. I mean, most of these have been kind of like very comfortable, relaxed events where you get to hear speakers talking about topics of interest such as DE&I or energy or women in energy. And what I found is I found fantastic uh, people that I've been able to converse with. I found opportunities such as the CU Denver Energy Management Program being able to teach there. But then I've also been able to listen to other people. And I always consider myself a sponge. As much as I like to educate and advise, I love to hear other people's opinions about information around industries and trending. And so for me, I just love to sit there, listen in a very relaxed environment about these topics. So let's talk a little bit about how you and Sarah have been working together to create this ESG program. What are some of the key topics that you'll be talking about? And then some of the key takeaways for people that want to really invest in themselves and and furthering their ESG, their education and career? Yes. So this course will be an amazing foundation for people that truly want to understand what ESG is what impact it has on companies and really the the challenges that companies face when they're embarking on this ESG journey. So we will be covering the reporting standards. It, they can be so confusing in themselves, the guidelines. Oh, shit. I mean, literally the scope stuff, I get so confused. Yes, but well, I will be covering scope one, two, and three, how those impact companies and why some companies report on scope one and two and ignore three and why some companies are now embarking on reporting on scope three metrics, which are the most expansive and can be the most confusing to companies and just shareholders and investors alike. So we'll be covering scope one, two, and three. We'll also be covering the social aspect, uh, the DE and I aspect of why that's important in a company and why companies are now being asked to focus on these diversity inclusivity initiatives. Um, we'll also be covering um, how investors see companies and how does it investor decide in investing in one company versus another company based on their sustainability report or their ESG report? How do they come to that conclusion of, of investment? And then also what investors saying, um, there's, there's companies right now such as BlackRock that are being very uh, forward thinking when they're addressing companies. And Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, has a yearly letter to all CEOs that they invest in addressing them and asking them what they're doing about ESG and really laying out the foundation and what they'd like to see. So really just seeing the shift now of these investment companies focusing on ESG and really pushing for that 
within those companies. So it's going to be a great course that covers a lot of material, but just very current and uh, applicable material right now. And Sarah, tell us the name of the course and when it's being offered and how people can sign up. Yeah, so the course is ESG in Energy and Commodities. Um, and so it's being offered this April. April 8th is the start of the class. It's a fully online course with a whole bunch of live components and guest speakers associated with it. And hoping that we'll give some tangible takeaways for folks as well, kind of building um, an ESG report, uh, ESG strategy plan, excuse me, for um, for their company or a company that they potentially want to work for. So a lot of, lot of tangible takeaways, a lot of real world experiences. Um, just like Farhana said, talking about investors, talking about um, the individual roles as well. So really excited. People can sign up for it. Um, starting now, it's on our website, um, business.ucdenver.edu backslash gym. We'll just put that in the episode yeah, notes. That's, pro that's probably best. It's <laughs> probably best. Farhana, thank you so much for joining us today. Today is International Women's Day, and I'd love to leave our listeners with a little bit of advice from you. I would say advocating for oneself is very important and it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a woman, man, uh, you're a diverse individual within a company, advocate for yourself because if you don't advocate for yourself, nobody will advocate for you. And, and when I talk about advocating, I say, speak up. If, if you don't fit where you are, go somewhere where you do fit, where you can thrive. Um, it's also advice that I give my children uh, and whenever they are you know, call me and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I say, go talk to your lecturer, go talk to your professor. My, my daughter's at, at college right now at CU Denver. Um, talk to people. Communication is key and communication plays a part in advocacy. And so you really have to speak up and don't be afraid to speak up. If you're being silenced, it may be time to move on and find an environment where your voice is heard, where you can make impact. Now everybody's going to quit their jobs. No. <laughs> They're already <laughs> quitting their jobs. It's fine. fine. Thank you for listening. We hope you join us next time. Until then, be safe and power on. So we have a surprise co-host in here. Uh, Sarah Bartlett has decided to join us for, uh, she's been sitting here listening to this podcast the whole time and she has some thoughts. So take it away. I was trying to sit here and be quiet, but you know, in the middle of that, when Farhana starts talking about companies stepping up and the industry really pigeonholing, I was wigging out in my chair. What you couldn't see if you, it, is that like, I was literally like, arms were up. I was ASL applause. I was like, preach. <laughs> so I, I really just have to say that I think that really nailed it. And we needed to give that a lot of the attention it deserved because holy cow, that's how to make a shift in this industry. So do you have a question in there? No, I just wanted to make sure, <laughs> I I just wanted to make sure people understood like that was fucking cool. <laughs> I just want to make sure people know that was gold that just happened right there. Okay. All of it. Underlined it and highlighted. It's yes. a highlighted section. <laughs> we turn um, up the volume of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the caps of podcast. That's right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> wow. I thought you had an actual question. I don't have an actual question. I just really needed to draw attention to that. <laughs>